Welcome to Upgrading Society, a podcast and community centered around discussing, dissecting, and implementing projects that are seeking to improve the world. Our goal for each episode is to leave you, the listener, with a good sense of what each project is all about. To do this, we have developed what we call a CAP score. CJ, take it away. C is for clarity, A for action, and P for potential. Clarity is how clear your idea is. Action is what you have done thus far. And potential is how promising your vision is. Each letter will be scored from 1 to 9, leaving us with a three-digit score in the end. To get these ideas to the highest score possible, we have three tools to help facilitate the conversation. Mike, tell us more. When you hear this sound, the person speaking has to explain what they mean in simpler terms. We call this no big words. When you hear this sound, everyone takes a deep breath and explains how they are feeling in the moment and give a score of 1 to 10 in comprehension. We call this checking in. When you hear this sound, people riff on future scenarios based on what they just heard. We call this what if. That's it. Welcome to Upso. Let's go. Moritz Bierling is an independent researcher, writer, programmer, and open source operative. He has served as chief catalyst at Holo and was a senior strategist at Exosphere. We had a great conversation exploring how Holochain is different than blockchain, the fundamental definition of currency, how the natural world influenced the metacurrency project, and we also covered some examples of people using alternative currencies to solve real-world problems. Enjoy. So Moritz, Holochain and Holo, I'm, I found you through that whole world, and I... For, for two years, I've been looking into this stuff and researching it, and I'm still fuzzy as to exactly what it is. Uh, so I can't imagine what CJ and Mike are in, in that, in that headspace. Um, could you explain a little bit more about Hollow, Hollow Chain, and maybe the Metacurrency Project in whatever way you think is best for us? Sure. So... Two years ago, in 2018, I wrote an introductory post to Holochain. And the way I started off in there was that basically I, I sort of positioned it in comparison or, or in relation to blockchain. And because that's usually the, the thing that people are at least have heard of, like in relation to Bitcoin, they sort of have heard this term maybe once or twice, but they don't really know how it works. Um, and so what blows people's minds when they first hear me talk about it is that actually Holochain, although it's only come on in, into development, technological development, like in the past three years, basically, the ideas and the concept and the project definition and description has been actually older than Bitcoin itself. So uh, this is not like a project that sort of, oh, there's this blockchain thing, let me figure out how to like change a couple of like bolts and nuts and like position it as a new thing. But there's a lot of deep thinking that has gone into the project, the, the principles that are at play in designing the technology. And those actually have their roots in earlier conversations than even the Bitcoin conversation. So that's sort of like one fact right out the gate that tends to get people interested, especially when they come from the blockchain world, because a lot of people who are active in it, they tend to sort of have the singularity point of Bitcoin behind which they can't see. Like even Bitcoin itself also actually emerged out of many large, like many other kinds of conversations around, for example, e-gold. Like actually Bitcoin was 
a attempt to create something that fixes the problems of eGold, which was a previous system that worked, but that then got shut down by the federal uh, government, basically, uh, where there was a central store of gold that then was sort of digitally moved around with the accounts. But again, you have the physical attack surface of the actual gold there, and then a organization in the middle that can be taken out. And so Bitcoin solves that problem of basically having no central organization, everybody being distributed. And so that's sort of this whole background, like blockchain ha has captured the imaginations of so many people, has given so many people also who felt very hopeless about doing anything about creating new systems, uh, maybe providing a selective pressure on governments, um, a, a sort of technological medium that allows them to take rules and ideas and values that they hold perhaps in common with other people and cast them into a sort of technological fabric that then can hold them and the people they interface with accountable to those shared rules and values. And so I was just watching a presentation the other day from some of the guys from Chainlink, I believe, and they were talking about how blockchain basically provides this uh, definitive truth. That's the way that he phrased it. Uh, meaning that when we currently consume a news article, right? Like we, we read something, some journalist has written something, they make reference to some factum or some data or some event, but ultimately we are basically completely trusting them for each of the claims that they're making, unless they reference specifically where they themselves got that information from. And then there's sort of a, a whole trace, traceable chain of references uh, through these people. Uh, what blockchain does basically is make it economically uh, costly to change information after the fact or nearly impossible basically uh, and ordering events in a way that uh, yeah, basically creates a definitive truth that everybody in a particular blockchain platform is relying on for their, the actions they can take in that system. Um, Holochain doesn't do that. Holochain is more like how could you say that? It's more like a, it's more like a, well, the way we, we talk about it is an application development framework rather than a platform or a protocol. Uh, and the distinction here is that blockchains, they sort of have this single store of data. Like if you think about Ethereum, one of the most popular and most well-known blockchain solutions that currently also has a lot of issues due to the, the fees of transactions rising incredibly, what they do and what they're currently trying to overcome is that problem of having a single computer in a sense that is spread out across many computers that are doing the same computations over and over to, to sort of secure the network. And so what they're, what they're doing is they're duplicating a lot of effort for simple actions, seemingly simple actions. And that's a trade-off that they make in order to get security uh, in favor of speed and, and scalability and all those things. Holochain doesn't have a central store. It's not even like a place you can put things uh, the way you do it in blockchain. It's a way that you can build applications. And so when you build an application with it, this application, the specific application is self-contained. So it doesn't have to rely on some underlying store that it has to access or even pay for using, uh, reading and writing, like reading from and writing to. And so through that, you can do away with a lot of the overhead, the security overhead that blockchain has to put into place in order to manage the access to that shared store, right? And so how did they arrive at that particular design decision? 
they arrived at it by looking into the natural world and looking for how do biological systems scale? How do biological systems work? Like your body, your, your guys' bodies have trillions and trillions and trillions of cells cooperating pretty harmoniously, I would say, at least sufficiently that you guys can pay attention right now. Like all of those trillions are cooperating to like make that gaze happen and so on. And they don't do it by like having some weird uh, dichotomy between individualism and collectivism where like, oh, we got to all be individuals. So if every cell was, was to, would do what they wanted to do, it would be chaos, would be anarchy and <laughs> you sort of disintegrate. But you also don't have this idea of collectivism where there's this big group that's forcing its will on a single cell and so everything like, that doesn't go against that dies. It's it all transcends those dichotomies. And so how do cells coordinate? They coordinate by forming greater holes out of the smaller holes. And then they have protocols and signaling systems to coordinate like, like hormones and, uh, and uh, proteins and all these different things that reproduce them, that send signals, hey, I have resource available, do you guys need some? Or hey, I need resources, do you guys have some? And so all of those things work at different scales with cells, organs, uh, limbs, and so on. And so Holochain is basically designed using those very same principles. And I can go into the technical details if that is of interest, but I think that's sort of a, a good enough starting point. We're going to do a nice check-in after that one. Let's, uh, let's all take a deep breath. All right. I am at a probably, I think, six to seven in comprehension in that I feel as if I understood that, but cognitively, I know it's going to be tough to like grasp a lot of the, the higher level of, of what's going on with, with all of this stuff. So what, what about you? Um, I'm at like a three or a four, uh, <laughs> I, I understand the concept. I understand, you know, I understand blockchain. I, I understand the downfalls that, it, that we're seeing as it progresses um, on a bigger scale. Uh, it's more of like what, how is it being used in everyday life that I'm always trying to figure out like, how does this relate to me, you know, or how does this relate to someone else? Um, I think those are questions that when I understand that more, I can really take in the entire pie. So right now I have like, you know, just the crust I'm getting right now, but I'm like, <laughs> I want to taste the pie. Like give me more information. That's where I'm at right now. Nice. I got some believability here. I, uh, I'm the co-founder of a blockchain technology company for financial services, and we're currently running through three pretty successful iterations using off-crypto blockchain-based uh, solutions to improve the way that things are functioning right now and, and major functionalities in, in financial services. So I'm, I'm pretty high up there. I'm at an eight or nine. I'm, I'm making the mistake of hearing you speak and trying to think where this is going to go next and where you're going to where you're going to go with this. So. Uh, for better or for worse, I'm with it. Let's let's keep going. Yeah. So we'll be uh, a good. Let, let's try to get a little grounding in the in the the soil, if you will. Yeah. And like maybe. Um, I, like I like what were you talking about? Maybe even applicated purpose. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah, that. in like terms of applications. The, yeah, the everyday. You know, I think 
we we had a huge boom of of Ethereum and uh, blockchain in general, and it was really all the talk was about how to sell it like a stock, right? That was like the big thing for a while was, oh, you can make money right now by buying up and selling, but that, that that's not really what we're talking about. It's it's a small piece of, of the puzzle, right? right. Like um, blockchain isn't Ethereum. It isn't Bitcoin. Right. That's a facilitator or a transaction a lubricant within the ecosystem or a use of blockchain, right? You right. can use it to transact business. Right. You can use it to authenticate or to pass data, right? right? Like there's many different ways to use it. I think as as you've beautifully introduced, there is this there is this connotation with the currency underlying like Ethereum and the application potential that Ethereum unlocks, like the architecture, the blueprints that you can pull from, right? And there is a huge misconception, I think, in the in the blockchain world that the currency is blockchain. And that right. is that is very wrong. In fact, it's probably in my opinion, if we're going to throw opinions out there, it's probably the poison in the well here, right? Like in many ways, like it's it's disabling the true capacity of blockchain itself from entering the real world as fast as it should. Because if you think about it, like it is, like when I learned about blockchain and Ethereum as a financial advisor, and I still have to advise on it all the time, it's, it is gambling. It's not yeah. a foreign exchange hedge. It is not a currency that has been regulated. I, I know what's going to go on with the yuan for the, right now. I know what right. happened in the last 20 years. I'm, I have a, a good predictable forecast of what's going to happen in the next. Bitcoin and Ethereum is a very different story, right? It's still kind of a, a gamble, if you will, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's not because it, it can, you can eliminate the, the, the currency and still have a phenomenal product that can be used to change a lot. Right. Well, it's and what more to what you're saying. It it's the truth, right? It's it's it's. To we call it a truth machine. Yeah, that's what we call. It. We call it a truth machine. The, the bullshit, right? It's like it's the only thing you can actually rely on for it to be uh, true. I mean, I don't know what else to, to. It's the best thing we've been able to find. In, yeah. As a human civilization, to be able to disconnect answers, to be able to be able to create a more formulated predict dependable answer without um, outside forces necessarily pulling on it, right? The way that you describe the lineage of data and how you you fact check something by going back from the source versus having a million people say the same thing and their credibility is predicated on them being able to accurately weigh in, that's, that's very, very powerful, right? And whether or not you're exchanging a currency for that or trying to create an ecosystem that's more readily supportable for things that are real is is... Is where we're going here. Yeah. Right. I, I think the the way that Arthur Brock, the founder of Holochain, um, puts it is what, what blockchain and what Holochain both do, uh, albeit in different ways, is create something called distributed intrinsic data integrity. Meaning that you like how do you have a bunch of data live out in the open among many different computers that are all like interacting? where no single computer has the single source of truth on it, where they all share that same source of truth from that shared data store, basically. Um, now, blockchain solves it by making basically one single version of the truth that is uh, updated by blocks. That's where the name comes from, blockchain, where you take a bunch of entries that are all created by, by many different actors in the system, bash them together into a block, up 
update the chain by basically running this com complicated mathematical puzzle that so-called miners solve. And then when one of them finds a solution and publishes it, he earns the right to make that block like another official uh, update to the blockchain. And so, I mean, there are different systems that do different versions of this. There's proof of work, proof of stakes, and so on. But Holochain does it very differently. It doesn't create a single store of data that everybody accesses and relies on and also references. But instead, it creates something different. It creates the ability to basically create a rule set, which is what we call in the Holochain universe a DNA. Basically, the app has a DNA, the, rule, the rules of the app. And then you can download the, that DNA or the, that app, and then you install it. And when you install it and then you run it for the first time, what happens is that the very first entry into uh, your own local hash chain, which is the way that uh, Holochain does it, hash chains, not blockchains, uh, very similar to Git, actually, uh, is, I believe, you proclaiming your identity into that space. No, no I think that's the second one, actually. The first one is, uh, no, it is the first one, yeah. The you proclaiming your identity into a space, uh, basically creating uh, the public and private key uh, pair that allows you to, to like say, hey, I have an identity here. Uh, this is my address. You can speak to me like with this. And I also have the keys to change that. And then the second entry, I believe, is you signing uh, the rules of the application that you've installed uh, and basically saying, I'm going to abide by those rules, both programmatically and sort of <laughs> on a metaphysical level, I would say, um, in the sense like, hey, here are the rules I'm going to abide by. And if I'm not going to, then consequences will happen. And this is, of course, up to the designer of the app to decide what kind of rules the app has and what consequences will happen. But that's the way it, it, it gets done. And from that point forward, every single action you take within that app gets first written to your own local chain. And only when other people need to access it or depending on the rules of the app, this is something that is a social kind of entry, like let's say a chat message or a financial transaction. Then this will take place in a sort of shared space uh, or directly writing to each other's chains with your device and my device countersigning basically. This is another interesting part. If you have a transaction, you generally don't have a unilateral transaction, but you have a two-sided transaction, meaning the recipient also has to accept has to accept the transaction, which is different from blockchain too. So that's sort of the the, the technological undergirding, um, and the reason why that is the case uh, is that it removes all of that overhead, and it also makes it possible for the individual to be an authority about their own state. And that is something that biological systems do too. Cells in your body, they don't write their own state to a global ledger of the body that now everybody has to access to like be able to do anything. But cells proclaim their own state. They basically signal something to the outside world and they also are able to receive signals from the outside world. And then cells are able to validate those signals too. And so that's the way that blockchain works on the basic conceptual level. You want to check in again? <laughs> yes, yeah, do another check in. Um, improve. Yeah. Another big deep De breath here. Definitely. Well, I'll go first. <sighs> CJ's out of the I'm, in, I'm in the same place. I'm ready. <laughs> I keep thinking about where we're going to go next and how we're going to apply this. But I, I'm excited about to see, like, with this last four minutes here. Yeah. What's the progression for you two? I mean, I feel like 
I was at what a three or a four? Is that what I said? Yeah, um, strong three. I'm closer to like a seven now, six or seven. About and, functionality. Yeah, okay. I, I, and I, and I would love to hear more about like, and I, obviously I know CJ's wheels are spinning of like, well, this is how I'm going to use it. This is how we can use it. This is how the world can use it. Like the everyday application that you're more it's you're using right now. Are you using it in an everyday? Uh, sense is it something that is only going to be more usable as more people start to use it kind of thing like it, you know what's the where where are we I guess like where are we at in the again like the question is like where are we at in the progression of hell chain right or where are we at in the uh, the more of like the everyday application like what we we're talking about like what did that looks like what does that look like for somebody like you CJ who or in in the financial state of of things, how do you, how would you use something like this? Do you already know how you're using it? Are you using it already? Um, all those questions. <laughs> so long story short, I I have a lot more understand a better understanding right now, um, just in that four minutes. So thank you. Applied science. Yes. Here we come. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I would say I'm probably around an eight. Um, I know, I I have a a broad overview of it a high level sketch of it and um in terms of hollow chain itself um but for me my questions come into the where, where are the um the hollow hollow versus hollow chain and also the meta currency project in in that whole ecosystem because hollow chain is just one thing and i know that they're it's going to require a little bit more explanation to kind of understand the rest of the ecosystem. So the only reason I'm not higher is because I like have peeked behind the curtain of like how much more stuff there actually is. So um, I, I'm definitely on board with Holochain. I, I would actually love to get into though some um, some tangible examples as well of like um, and also maybe some imagine ifs or what ifs in yeah, that I like we're imagine a situation where holochain is being used broadly what what does the world look like i think i think we did this kind of backwards but it's going to work probably better right we usually start at thirty thousand feet and then drill into different ideas and here we started with building the ethos right does does this guy know blockchain what's going on here and it's it's quite it's it's quite obvious that we're going we have this um foundation here right we're on the same page so let's talk about the applied science let's talk about how you how y'all using this to 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 create sense making to create change all that good stuff i'll give like a, a sort of rough um sketch of the development basically sort of historical development if you will so uh where all of this comes from is basically how jared already talked about uh, something called Scepter and then something called Metacurrency Project. And so the way that these guys have worked is in the past two decades, uh, after Arthur Brock and then Eric Harris-Brown, the two sort of main characters in this group, although there are many more, uh, Jean-Francois Nubel and Jean Russell and so on, many different other people, their work has centered a lot around this idea of collective intelligence. And Arthur started out studying artificial intelligence, actually. And artificial intelligence led him to the insight or the realization that actually artificial intelligence isn't the proper thing to study because it has sort of a certain directionality and the, the, the discourse around it tends to always arrive at this sort of machine supremacy, if you will. Um, 
And collective intelligence is a more, let's say, I, I, I don't like to, to use that word necessarily, but like a more holistic frame where you can bring together both machine intelligence and human intelligence uh, in sort of a, uh, a human-driven process where machines augment the ability of individuals and groups to process information, to make uh, meaningful decisions, to properly understand the world around them, and so on. And so in the past two decades of work, they ended up finding this insight out of their work on, on social processes that the way that humans scale their systems, the way that human groups coordinate is by something called currencies. And currency is not only in the way that we think of as money, with money being the, the most well-known currency type, but many, 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 many other kinds of currencies. And here, this mnemonic is a pretty useful tool, uh, current C, meaning that you are able to see currents or flows. That's what the Latin word actually means, correre, to flow. And so what currencies do, they make visible the flows of information, value, resources, people, and so on within a group or across groups. And so I'll give you a very concrete example to set that into context. Uh, still one of my favorite stories to date about currencies. There's this uh, city called Curitiba in Brazil, and they had this problem that basically trash was piling up in the narrow streets of the favela, and the trucks of the trash collection service wasn't able to get in there. And so what they ended up doing is instead of like widening the streets and moving people and spending a lot of money on relocation, they instead put up waste collection baskets around the perimeter of that favela. And then they gave everybody who brought a bag of pre-sorted waste to those collection sites, a plastic token, which was worth one bus ride. And what ended up happening is that the people with the lowest value for their time, meaning the youth and the young people, they ended up collecting the trash, sorting it, putting it to bags, bringing those bags to the sites, getting those tokens, and then primarily giving those tokens to their parents who used those tokens to be able to get cheap bus rides or bus rides for free into other parts of town to be able to either buy cheaper groceries or apply for better jobs. And so as a consequence of that single intervention that then was added onto through different iterations of the system, this city today ranks at three times the regional average of income that it had when it was back then. It's wow. a beautiful so, city. I've been there yeah. a few times. Yeah. yeah. My partner's from Curitiba. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah, good reference. Yeah, and, and so this stands as an example, which I think is completely removed from all that crypto craziness, right? As an example of a, a currency where it's not money, it doesn't have a price, but it is a mechanism, a token that allows the problem, the unsolved problem of how do you manage this public health hazard of trash piling up in the streets? How do you solve that? connecting it up to an un or underused resource, in this case, the public transportation system that still had plenty of seats available for more people to use it at basically no additional cost because the buses are running anyway, right? It's just that there was no access to that system to the people who don't have the money to buy those rides. Right. And so that's what currencies can do. They can connect unsolved problems with un or underused resources. And so when you then port that insight into all kinds of applications, all kinds of contexts, then you can start to sort of at least intuit 
if not already completely intellectually understand the incredible power that lies in that idea of currencies and their application to human problems. And so I don't know what I, what I, I want to take a breather here or what I, what I should go on. I'm good. No, I mean, Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah I'm, keep I'm, going. I'm I mean, uh, cool. Let me see the applied science here. So that's sort of one of those core insights for the meta currency product that also gives that basically its name, the meta I can uh, speak to right now. Uh, actually, one of the, the sort of, I think where that name comes from is that the way that they see the world evolving forward is that instead of having one global currency or like one dollar or one renminbi or whatever it may be, instead we have an explosion of currencies that are designed to work at different levels and scales and different contexts for different groups and between different groups and so on. And so uh, one of the specific ways that uh, we are currently working on that or that they are currently working on is, for example, Holo. And what Holo does is it creates a market for hosting of Holochain applications, just like how Amazon Web Services which is the best, uh, the, the highest profitable sector or, or the highest profitable part of Amazon, by the way. Yeah, by far. Massive, massive market. Uh, to basically provide that kind of service for Holochain applications so that you and you and you and your grandmas and your girlfriends and all of the people that aren't crypto nerds and that don't know how to download a DMG and like do some hacking on the terminal are able to use crypto apps without even realizing that they're doing so by simply typing in a web address just like they used to or downloading an app to their phone and just using the services they're used to using or new services that use the same kind of interface or, or different interfaces even and not realizing that what's happening on the back end is actually crypto and they are now in ownership of their own keys their own data and they can now select who to give access to that and so on so that's one of those uh, really really important uh, things and for that to work they need a currency because hosting has a lot of transactions on a small scale so microtransactions microtransactions for very low value and so that's what holofuel comes into play for basically a currency for hosting computation and processing um, and bandwidth and that's one example of one currency and then once that works and works well then they want to expand to basic currencies for transportation, for housing, for food. Uh, there's already a design for the food currency with just one organics and all this different stuff we don't have to get into here. And then the way that they see this coming together is that we have a bunch of these different currencies that are uh, working to enable people to supply themselves for their basic needs. Uh, to those then become to, bundled together into a basket into something called a meta currency, basically a currency of currencies that is basically anchored in the lower level currencies. Uh, and as such has these meta stable properties uh, because these other currencies that are lower the level themselves are designed to be stable and not hugely fluctuating. Uh, I don't necessarily want to go into details of that. We could if we wanted to, but that would be another technical discussion. That's though the reason for that term meta currency project. And so the way that we arrive at Holo and Holochain is by way of meta currency being split into the sort of the human systems, human stuff, soft stuff, if you will, and then the technological stuff, which is bundled under the name of Scepter, which by the way, I've now heard is changing to Coventina. Um, but Scepter 
is sort of this complete rewrite of the entire computing architecture from top to bottom, like literally to the level of bits uh, upwards. Uh, And and so that is another insane project to talk about, but basically you would uh, would need to spend about a week or so with a computer science PhD to sort of get them to start to understand the scope of this entire project. Um, And so what they realized, this is just too much of a barrier for entry. We're never going to gain momentum with this thing. And so when blockchain started to gather steam around 2015, 2016, they realized, okay, we got to do something. And they broke out the part of Scepter that specifically dealt with distributed distributed intrinsic data integrity, meaning DIDI, um, named it Holochain, created this technology, and then created Holo as a way to create a bridge from that new decentralized distributed web that always only the nerds are going to adopt at all uh, to the normal people. And that's how we arrive at today, basically. Wow. wow. How do you, so I, I got 30 questions, but I think our listeners might be plugging into this one the most. How is decentralizing a currency and turning one currency into 20, 30, 40, how does that improve life? That was my exact question. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, because that's the big question. And if answered well, you're very much onto something. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's the nexus here, right? Yeah. I mean, so why, why would that idea of a meta currency even be relevant? Right. Like I think the question, the question is what's problem is that solving? And the problem it's solving, I think is that, we currently have this problem that governments basically claim the exclusive power of creating, managing, and terminating and adapting currencies, uh, or even to like uh, actually prohibit the creation of other kinds of currencies if they don't fit with their legal or tax uh, goals. Right. Um, and so this is basically a vision of reappropriating the capacity to create dynamics and mechanisms and currencies that allow a community to cast its own values into a a sort of extension or technological extension infrastructure uh, and to solve its own problems without having to rely entirely on higher order systems like governments. Um, And so, of course, this is a a tenuous discussion because people, they, they, they assign their identity as a part of a state or of a nation and so on, but ultimately why do we have these greater greater systems of governments rather than governance as a function? Uh, it's because we live in a uh, in a world where territories are fought over, there are arms uh, to to fight, um, and so you need these these entities to defend territories. Basically, that's the the reason why they exist, and also because they allow us to centralize corruption. Basically, that's what governments do, uh, and because they centralize corruption you and I could do business together. And if one of us cheats, the, the guy with the biggest stick, meaning the government is going to come in and say, no, like you can't, you can't cheat. I'm the only one allowed to do that. Um, and you guys have to like behave basically. Um, and that, that's what enables trust within a society, right? Because I know if you guys do something bad and we have a business deal going on, I can get recourse. And so, but governments don't have that, kind of thing on themselves that much other than like international treaties and alliances, but they still have that right of sovereignty. Um, anyway, so why don't municipalities 
city-states, bioregions, and so on, why don't they have sovereignty? Why don't they have the capacity to arrange their own affairs and sort of are within a greater legal regime uh, that they don't have much say in, in changing? Uh, because they are not the best, currently the best uh, way to organize society to defend territories. But if we give communities the ability, communities and groups and, and any kind of entities of multiple people the ability to solve their own problems basically through currencies, then suddenly the demand for greater authority on higher levels drastically gets reduced. Right? Like if you and I can keep track of our debts to each other and we don't have to go like to big brother basically and say, hey, this guy like hurt me or he cheated me and say, can you like get my, what is mine from him? Then suddenly a lot of that demand that is the, the thing that props up government authority and power gets sort of taken away. And so currencies allow us to do that. Currencies that allow people to fulfill their basic needs with these different currencies are going to be make it are going to make it much easier for people to do so. And then governments don't even have a moral claim anymore as supplying us with welfare and all of those things that uh, we need to survive. And so when you can literally fulfill your needs from being part of one or multiple groups and doing valuable work in the context of those groups, which might not be market valuable, but still is group valuable through these specific currencies, then why would you need to get like basic income? Why would you need to get money from the government? Why would you feel that you would need to take your, um, your grievances to this, this system if you can get your grievances met through other means? And so the problem that, that I'm speaking to here is that governments have that exclusive right to create and to change currencies, basically legal tender. Uh, and through that, they can dilute the value of that, of that tender of that money and empower themselves and the, the people that are at the top of the financial and the elite hierarchies, right? Like that's what happened in 2008. The financial system of the world nearly collapsed. It basically did collapse, but we sort of just kicked the can down the road by printing much, 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 much more money and sort of saying, okay, there is nothing there, like continue, carry on. And we're still in the same spot. Basically, maybe this winter it's gonna hit again. So <laughs> that's not a, tenable, not, a, not a tenable situation. And so if we want to find a way to sort of crash land that plane and still have a couple survivors, then I think we should take uh, the responsibility into our own hands to be able to solve our own needs when larger systems fail to supply us with what we need. Mm. So that, that goes down a really cool rabbit hole. So maybe paint, paint a picture for us. It's 2008, right? If we had decentralized currency and we had this nirvana where if every township or every mayor was able to decentralize, say the US dollar is, eh, we're just gonna have tokens for all of our food, we're gonna have tokens for our transportation, we're gonna have tokens for the unique needs that are microcosm of this country that, whatever it is, right? This Within the one mile radius of where I'm sitting right now, we all have an organization, we have our own currency. Maybe for the listeners, paint the picture of how having a decentralized currency environment where individuals were less reliant on the government or the, the dollar currency in 2008 and more reliant on a, a uh, focused decentralized currency would have helped us in the, in, the, in the crisis. Or maybe if that's too difficult, maybe help us, help us kind of paint a picture of how as humans after 2008 happened, 
how we might have been able to to build build a better community for for each other or faster like so that that you're touching on a very specific very painful point um in our currency's history right so how would how would hollow and how would scepter and what you're creating as a foundation how would those things have been able to help in that situation well they didn't exist back then so sure so let's 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 pretend let's, uh, let's pretend like we we're in little nirvanas too right yeah, like we are sort of in that same spot now it's just not yet they like, come to head in a sense i think uh if i look at the at the world but um This is the break. This is the breakthrough. I'm putting you on. I'm putting your feet to the fire because I think this is the breakthrough right now, right? For sure. Because the argument is, if if we're gonna decentralize currency, show me how it's gonna make it better. And that, because there is a lot of argument for making big changes right now, especially you know we're fully on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to be clear, like I'm not making an ideological argument or like a um, like this is what needs to happen. I'm merely sort of describing what that vision is like. Yeah, and then the yeah. people that feel inspired by that, they're free to like inquire more. But this is a key point, but actually that I want to sort of uh, harp in on for a second, because uh, what people sometimes misunderstand, what I see a lot happening in the blockchain space, because every blockchain has a token to sell, they have this sort of marketing army of people that are saying, hey, buy our token, buy our token, buy our token. Like, yeah, it's on discount, it's on discount, right? Like, yeah, exactly. On. And they're like, oh, we're burning tokens. It becomes more valuable. Like, oh, this, uh, <laughs> crap, basically. Uh, and this is not this is fundamentally not the way that uh, we are operating because we're not interested in convincing people. We're simply interested in creating tools that allow the people who already believe that things are should happen a different way to build those systems and then to prove those systems in the fire, as you say, like basically put that to the test uh, rather than sort of make claims and visions and ideologies that people have to uh, sort of relieve themselves of the responsibility to actually make come true or to actually uh, have real real validation behind that. So that aside though, uh, meta currencies, I think would offer this idea of uh, a pretty universal or pretty large scale system that still allows us to get the benefits of what a money does, which is basically the universal unit of account. Um, and have that be independent of a single governmental entity that has the the use of force as the thing backing it up. Yes. Uh, now I'm not I'm not an ideologist in terms of that the government using uh, force is a bad thing necessarily. Um, but when an entity has the ability to unilaterally impose something, it tends to produce uh, sort of it, it tends to. Uh, grow cancerous or necrotic or become ossified because it removes that selective pressure on itself uh, other than in competition with other entities that can do the same. Um, and so to sort of turn that whole thing around, I think actually that we're not going into this brave new world and like it's going to be crazy beautiful and utopia, but we're actually returning to the historical norm, which is how things used to be for many, many millennia, which is smaller entities or smaller uh, groupings having their different currencies. We had entire, uh, uh, entire uh, centuries, especially in the, uh, in the Renaissance and in the medieval period, where there were many different, even private currencies. Like I, for example, I come from Hamburg, Germany. Uh, 
Hamburg is a city-state and has been for a long, long time. And it has had its own currency, the Mark Banco, in the past, which was actually part of a poly, uh, poly uh, logical legal system as well. So there were the merchants that had their currencies. They had different rule sets and they uh, raised armies that were as good or better than kings and, uh, and sort of Kaisers um, or Caesars. And so it has, it has been in the past that companies have had the ability to create their own monies. Banks have had the ability to create their own currencies and so on. And so I think of this more as a return to a historical normal than a sort of embarking on a, a brave new uh, like adventure. That's where we're going. So I have a question Beautiful. for that. So, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's not forward. It's actually going backwards to kind of help. And updating. Yeah, yeah, going backwards and updating because it worked, right? And decentralizing power, right? Yeah. That was a big theme here. Is that? But I think my question is that going back to that, you had less connection from the world, right? Like, no, no one was as connected. So, in theory, that makes sense. But if you're going back to these meta currencies. When everyone's actually connected, how how does the value translate from currency to currency? Like, how do you put a value on anything if everything's different? Can I can I take a stab at that? Can I take a stab at yeah. this? So, and this is a question I've heard before, and I and and, and I'm. You so know, so it's, think it's, of it, think about it this way. Let's go back to the 2008 example, yeah. right? 2008 happens. You're in a town of a thousand people that are all different professionals, right? From artists to doctors, right? No one has any money after 2008, right? Right. No one has any money. Everybody just lost their, you know what? It's like 2020. Imagine if that, <laughs> imagine if the thousand of us were able to say, how do we improve our lives by facilitating our greatest need through a reconnection of supply and demand of need and, 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 and right. gift, Right. Like just like Kudachiba did, they said we can't. We have a a, an, a a a problem that is getting worse and worse every day, and we have a need that needs to be filled. How do we put those two things together? And Kudachiba was able to understand what their population needed to be able to make one plus one equal right. three. They weren't worried about anything outside yes. of the ecosystem. They're yes. like we just need to figure out this ecosystem. We need to figure out how to have these cells work together, not somebody else's body figuring it out. Like we don't need to worry about yes. that. Yes. So we're and saying if we had Scepter yeah. and we've had Hollow in 2008 and it was fully functioning, we had these resources to be able to build these facilitations for our thousand people, then we could have gotten back on, on track and started to have our own recovery process that was agnostic to the US dollar and how much we can make and how much necessarily we're making from our, our traditional right. job. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's improving the well-being of the community first. It's unlocking, then, yeah, it's unlocking the technologies so that we can facilitate improvement in a new way, right? Yeah. Right now we can't, if, if nobody in our thousand people has any money, it doesn't matter, right? Right. But if we have skills and we have reciprocated people that want what we have, then we can create a new functionality right. that can keep us moving without having to worry about the patriarchal yeah. dollar, if you will, on top. So the, the main question was like, if, if we were in, if we were in 2008 and um, at Hollow and, and Scepter were fully baked and ready to go, 
and they were functioning on a smaller level and, and we had this catastrophe, right? Like maybe paint a picture for us on how different smaller communities would be able to leverage um, what y'all are doing and, the, and what you're what you're offering and, and putting out there to be used um, that could improve those types of situations, right? Let's talk about a good scenario and a bad scenario maybe, right? Like there's no... I think that would help, yeah. So in a, in a, in a negative environment, right, where a centralized currency dictates and the majority of the individuals that are in our ecosystem are having a tough time accessing that centralized currency to be able to continue to facilitate their, their lifestyle and what's necessary, right? How, how do these technologies and how do what we're creating here um, kind of reshape the exit pattern from that, that low point? Yeah, so I think we first have to sort of get a, a basic understanding of what the problem actually is in a financial crisis, right? Like in a financial crisis, the problem, or one of the problems definitely, is that uh, all of these interlocking circuits and systems like the banking system, the financial markets, uh, all of these different, um, the, the, like the, the mortgage uh, mortgages, the, uh, the rental properties, like all these different markets and uh, and, and systems, they start to falter because they all are interlocked with each other. And then when one falls, the other one falls and, and there's no, no easy way of stopping that. And that's actually one of the big problems. A lot of the problems we have in modernity is that we've engineered our systems to be extremely efficient and optimized for efficiency at the cost of resiliency, right? Like we create these massive scale systems and we don't engineer in Slack or surplus or sort of uh, 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 buffers that would allow us to react to shocks when they happen and basically like catch that. We saw that right now with the COVID situation too. Like all of these supply chains breaking and, and, and companies like struggling to figure out where they source things. Same for, for actually uh, different states or countries. And so that's actually one of the advantages of systems like these is to give the smaller scale groups the ability to re-knit the cut fabric, the social fabric, the business fabric, and so on, that allows entities and organizations and groups to continue or to take up anew the relationships that allow them to supply themselves with their needs or to, to basically solve their, their problems. And so... Yeah, that's, that's what would probably have happened if that were ready at the time. Um, another more specific problem that's uh, present in a financial crisis such as this is that basically there's not enough money to go around uh, sometimes when you have uh, the money being lying in the bank accounts of mostly the higher uh, strata of society, uh, basically either not doing much or not being liquid or not flowing through the system. Um, and so when money becomes scarce, uh, then you can't, the flow starts to hamper as well because that's the way that we navigate that, that flow, like the flow of resources. Uh, and what these currencies, these new currency systems and these new technologies allow us to create more easily these currency systems allow us to do is to then when there's not enough money going around uh, to, to facilitate the flow or when the flow stops at all, we can then create new systems, new tokens, new currencies, new mechanics that allow us to sort of step in and then either basically take a chunk out of what would be a generalized market 
and sort of make a more specific market or a more specific way to, so to solve that need for people, just like we saw with the Kuitiba token, which was a very specific solution and it didn't have a market value, right? Like it, it didn't say here is a generalized money now that you can use, but here's some problem that you have. Uh, we'll figure out a way to solve that problem um, and make use of resources we already have. And so that's what, but then that's what would then happen if that had been operational. Groups and, and communities and municipalities and so on would have been able to use these tools to figure out what are their problems right now, their flow problems basically, and how do we connect up our un or underused resources with the problems that we have. And then once that works, maybe on individual scale or, or small scale, then you can also do the same thing between communities and, and read that fabric. But that happened already anyway. Like this is not something that Holochain or Scepter is uniquely necessary to do. Like currencies and complementary currencies and community currencies have been around for a long, long time. Like in the in the Great Depression, uh, uh, global depression of the 20s, I believe, or, or like, uh, yeah, 20s, I think. Um, the Veer, for example, is an, is an example of a currency in Austria that a small town created themselves that was so successful in raising that town out of uh, poverty in the generalized global depression uh, that it was basically shut down by the government of Austria because it basically showed that a smaller system can work very well to create wealth uh, rather than this national level currency. And right. so competition gets cut away. So. Well, I think what's interesting about the story in Brazil is, and the and the other factor of why that maybe worked so well was the effort versus return, right? Like the effort of putting sorting a bag of garbage to have transportation token, and I think that's that's another issue that I think we're facing right now is, you know. There's, let's say there's no money, why go do something to make very little and not be able to actually afford to do what you need to do with that effort? Like, that's the big problem, too. How does this, how can this fix that? I mean, I'm hearing the answers kind of like trickle out mm -hmm. that, well, you You're know. You're saying like, if I got to go work somewhere for minimum wage, maybe there's like two or three tokens that don't have monetary value yeah. on top of the minimum wage but for me those three tokens in my lifestyle help facilitate more for me right like, or, so i'll go do a minimum wage job because right. those extra tokens unique to that job description allow me to go to the park right that costs 20 bucks but i got kids and they exactly. want to go to the park so now it's free for it's me. like the it's the it's the ecosystem of if i want a hundred dollar pair of pants how long does that take to work for that hourly in a society where you know the U.S. dollar is worth what it's worth, how do I change that? So is this like a, a way better version in some in some respects of like when you pick a job? Like when I was in high school and college, I picked a job that because I was making high school and college money, but it had other intrinsic. I worked at a nice steakhouse because I knew like once a week I was getting a steak on the side, yeah. right? Like it's the other value that you know comes from doing a good job intrinsic with the day-to-day -day operations it's that how much extra can i get without adding extra work right and it's because right. we're not just on a mega currency we're also seeing that what you do may not help you know the the meta government but your local support and your local service is exponentially more more valuable and therefore you should if we had a more precise 
ecosystem, you could be compensated for that. Right. I mean, I'll give you another example that maybe brings it another step closer. Like there's, I think uh, somewhere in the Netherlands, they have the system where uh, elderly people, senior citizens, basically, they can babysit children for like an hour or several hours. So they basically have the, the unit of an hour. And then based on them performing that service uh, for parents, they then get access to healthcare services. Mm-hmm. And so that's another way that's sort of a specific demographic in this case that isn't able to uh, compete on the market for cash value necessarily for typical things uh, for whatever reason still finds a valuable use of their time that then gives them something other of value specifically to their situation, right? Like this is very general. All right. I got it. So how about this? Let's go in my specific scenario right now. I am a music producer and DJ. I used to have income that came in from shows. That was how I lived my life. I no longer have that. I'm looking for ways to leverage my skills and my um, what I've earned, what I've what I've done for the last ten years, in Your order expertise, to yeah. live my life in a in a in a, a reasonable way in society right now. So let's brainstorm. Like, what about a, a currency mapped on something like Holochain, where I put in time to help people? produce music and in exchange that is backed by a currency that gives me food or something let's let's go in on that kind of tangent what what other kind of ideas can you think of there i mean there are many different things i could imagine and all of them would require some effort probably so let's but you're, mm-hmm. you're currently talking about your your specific situation as an individual right and yes. currencies tend to be useful in group contexts so that there's actually a flow that happens between multiple people and usually more than just like a small group um, especially if you're trying to make something that has sort of the, a more generalized capacity but in a small context like you for example with your friends that's more like a familial context Right, like, and in a familial context or family and a friends context, you don't actually need these like more sophisticated technological systems. Usually, what you do is you find a way to like relieve the the life uh, the, the burden on other people around you that are, that have access to the things that you need, maybe. And then, as a reward, like they they cut you in on that, like they they give you food, like you sleep on the couch of a friend or. The, like your your mother bakes uh, like cooks for you and you like clean the house and like drive her to places whatever it may be right like you find a more direct way of right. exchanging value for value. Now, of course, the question then becomes how do you sort of get back to earning a living in a sort of more independent way? Well, that either requires that you like figure out how to adapt to the situation. It's not like you have some God-given right to be a music music producer and the world better change so that you are able to continue that. You can figure out maybe how to make that happen, uh, but it requires ingenuity and then the ability to make that happen. So uh, it's, it's sort of a, there's no one right answer here. It's more, what are you willing to do? What is possible to do? And then how easy are those things to do? That's a great I answer. Mean, yeah, that's, I think in in your example, I mean in my example, like we're both in similar situations. Like the the you know, the world has kind of shut down in a lot of ways, and if people can't go places and buy tickets and have concerts, like there's a huge part of the entertainment 
uh, industry that literally their entire lifeline has been cut off, right? Um, but I think the question is, is like initially, yes, it's it's the it's a a, a family situation, right? It's like I do this and I can get my food or I can get my shelter, but after those needs are met, it's like how are my skills able to compound on the value so that I can not only make a living, but, you know, live a very quote unquote good life, right? Like how does that, how does that happen if it's trading of value versus like making profit, right? Like, like where does the profit start? Ah, this is, this is interesting. I mean, I don't actually think that this is necessarily a currency conversation at that point anymore. This is more like, what do you do? <laughs> um, but what you're just speaking to there, the question of profit versus like supplying your needs. Right. Uh, why, why, like, why is that a, an important question to you? I think it's, it's, what is the underlying need that you're, you're, you're imagining that the profit serves? Well, I mean, you know, we live in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is very expensive for people who don't know. Like, to buy a two-bedroom home here, like, you're talking about a half a million dollars for, like, a shithole. Like, literally. Like, that's... The, the real estate is so expensive here. So, having your needs met is nice, but if you want to own a home, like you got to make money, like real money, like you have to make serious money in LA. So the question becomes like, yes, my skills can be used to, you know, have, have the basic needs met, but then how, how is the micro or how, uh, the micro currencies, the, the, how, how does that branch out to, being able to build, you know, equity, like in a real way, like, what does that look like? It's not that these things replace money, like just outright, like this is more like a decade long process, probably. Of course, of course. I don't know. Right. So like money is not going to disappear from your life uh, immediately. I think what you're asking though is very interesting because it it sort of, it talks about how do you accumulate, uh, Basically, it's security and and the the freedom and independence that allows you to uh, act on the the desires that you have, right? Like, if you want to buy a home, why do you want to buy a home? Probably because you want to have your own space and you want to maybe have a family and you want to like do whatever you want in that space and right. you don't want to continually pay for those things. So those are all real and very. And it's personal to everybody, right? It's like it's exactly. like some some people are like, I don't need those things, or some people are like, I'm fine with you know, riding a bike. I don't, I don't, I don't care to have a car. And other people are like, well, no, like I, I live 30 miles away from my job. Like I need a car. Right. So it's, it's personal. It's different for everybody else, but sorry, continue. Right. Well, I think this, this then just comes back more to the question of like, does the government uh, figure out a way to get the money system working again or not? Like it's right. specifically speaking about money, right? So uh, I don't think that then the currencies would necessarily ch- completely change your life or like completely make it different. Um, and it, again, it, it really depends on also the, the groups that you're a part of and like how good they are in creating these things and actually getting them accepted and so on. So uh, this is not something that like you can 
snap a finger and then suddenly this thing exists and it's just working and it does something for you. It's more like some, some problem gets identified and then it's a whole process for going through, like actually clarifying what is the actual problem, figuring out what the mechanisms are to connect that up and so on. Uh, so it's, it's by no means something to, to sort of underestimate. But one interesting thing that I've been seeing recently, even outside of Holochain entirely, uh, is this idea of something called a social money. Uh, and this has been created, I, I, so, so like I think it's called uh, Roll HQ, Try Roll HQ, or tryroll.com, I think. Uh, that's basically an Ethereum-based uh, system where you can issue your own token, which they call a social money, as an individual. Uh, and as an individual, for example, I think they're currently working mostly with creators of various types. I think Ja Rule has issued his own token for a particular album drop or something like that. Um, and so that's that's a, a an idea or an example of a potential mechanism where you as an individual can sort of uh, do an issuance of tokens that give the buyers some value in whatever form. It could be, for example, the right to like get invite you and, and play as a DJ at their house party. Or okay. uh, it might be um, that uh, it buys them an hour consulting time. Or like it might be that they just want to support you and they just buy it to support you. Like those could be different things. and the, But it gives you that ability as an individual to sort of issue something that is just a representation of your value and or maybe has this more specific redemption quality and then getting financial uh, inflow to supply your needs that have changed uh, in the meantime. Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an yeah. example. I actually uh, am currently figuring out whether and if so how I can issue my own tokens for, for example, an entire season of productivity. Like, how do I issue a token for my summer of work? Like, and my, 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 my fall of work and my, my winter of work, for example. Because I, I want to experiment with that where I gave, basically issue those tokens at the beginning of the season. People can buy it and they basically place a bet on my ability to produce value that will outpace the value that they give me for those tokens. Yeah, it's basically futures, investing in futures. Yeah, right? <laughs> futures, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you could say it like that. Yeah. So yeah. that's an example. And then the interesting thing is the incentives then start to align that they actually have an, an incentive to help you succeed. Right. Right. And that's ultimately what you always want to get to, that uh, you get an alignment of interest between the actors in a particular game, that they work together and cooperate to produce value that benefits the, the actors. Yeah. And I think right now the difference with what you just, the example you just said is right now the only incentive that people have to, for you to succeed is when they have a piece of you, right? When they have a percentage of your output mm -hmm. and trying to change that is difficult, mm -hmm. but it necessary obviously because there's only a hundred percent of something right like mm -hmm. you, and so there's got to be more added value than just the percentage of money that comes mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. you succeeding right like there's there's got to be something else um yeah i don't know I, I feel like cj you had like some stuff that you wanted to add about like how how chain can 
be used in what you're doing or we could so, go really deep now on like energy acquisition of organisms but i'm gonna let cj do it so. <laughs> <laughs> well let's let's keep some continuity on where we're going here so yeah. the first we went to we went to a negative scenario right like how, yeah how, let's talk about like a good scenario like let's <laughs> Let's rewind like maybe eight months, right? When <laughs> the economy was relatively strong and people were working, yada, yada, yada. In a n normal environment where there isn't any need for um, intervention to help or fix, where where do we see these technologies and what y'all are building kind of being most prevalent and creating the most change, right? Because that's the whole backbone of this is, all right, you have a great idea. Now, how does it create value for a greater good? How does one plus one equal three in this uh, altruistic uh, uh, pursuit, no, no, no. right? This isn't altruistic. Like, this is the other thing. Like, I'm not making, again, I'm not making a claim that you have to sort of buy in that this is something good for benefiting. Like, no, this, that's not how systems work. Like, if you make something altruistic uh, and you sort of cut away the self-interest, then it's, it's basically doomed to fail. Uh, so this is not uh, necessarily a, a utopia. Uh, so it's more that, and it's not even that I need to make that case to you because the people who want to use the technology for whatever they want to do, they will make their case to you that that is something valuable. So the technology is just technology. The technology can be used for all kinds of different applications. So I can't tell you what value you will get from using this technology because I'm not the one creating something specific to you and your life but I am like helping our group create technology that has a generalized capacity to create valuable uses of it. Uh, and then the people who actually create the real applications and the real communities and the real companies and the real businesses, they then solve a particular problem that adds to your life. Uh, and then you can decide based on how they do things with that technology, whether that is valuable or not. Okay. Is there anybody that's been doing that right now? Do we have any good examples? Well, we have quite a bit of development going on in the ecosystem. The beautiful thing is it's sort of taking place under the radar, uh, which means that uh, generally we have very little inflow of people who are sort of token go up uh, kind of mentality. Um, right. And so, so we have people mostly focusing on the, on the building process. There, there's also um, there's, uh, there's a lot of projects that do very specific things that are at different stages of maturity. There's, for example, one project that has started out centralized. Uh, basically, Junto is this uh, new social media. Uh, so, by the way, like Holochain is not only useful for currencies. Like, it's you can use it for many, many, many different things, currencies just being one of them. Um, and so Junto has this vision of a Holochain-based social media that is built with... Um, with human design principles. Basically it preserves and enhances your attention rather than distracting you and taking that attention away. Um, because that's what all the social media we currently have are based on, right? Like their business model is to disintegrate your attention and to basically pull your strings so that it can make money from advertisement through you. Um, and so Junto starts out with a centralized uh, database, like everything that you are used to from the way that it's technologically architected in on the back end, but the interface is a completely different one. And that's, by the way, a really powerful, I think, path towards building really powerful distributed applications. It's by starting off in a centralized, regular fashion, you create something that people can use. And as they get used to it and they create habits and they 
get accustomed to the way that these new things work, you start to replace one by one specific functions of that application with distributed backends. And that's basically their plan as well. They're, they're planning to add uh, direct messages on Holochain as the next sort of step on their roadmap, but they still have everything else centralized. And so over time, you can then test and trial actually whether these things actually work and then have a lower risk of the whole thing working or not. Um, so that's, that's one example of a particular application. There's also this um, very interesting thing where, well, this I don't know, this will probably be too complex again to go into, although it does definitely <laughs> currencies as well. Basically, it's a food currency uh, that allows a, well, I guess we're going there. Uh, <laughs> um, this uh, group called Just One Organics, uh, they invented this process of drying fruits and vegetables, basically mm -hmm. like plant matter, right? Uh, and the reasoning behind that is they basically are buying the seconds of farmers, meaning the, the produce that isn't fit for the grocery store because it's not pretty enough, right? And usually what would happen with that, which is, by the way, a huge percentage of the produce that gets produced, yeah. uh, usually that would either go to like biofuel or sort of compost or just used as feed for animals. But what they do is they buy those seconds, they, they pay like a pretty uh, like good percentage of the price that would otherwise get in the grocery stores or on the retailers. And then they basically unlock a new revenue stream for the farmers as one benefit uh, and then they use those that produce, they dry it in these gentle drying centers and they create something called food crystals from them. So basically they just take out all the moisture from the, from the fruits and then they sort of, they, they cut it up and then it becomes these crystals. And these crystals are extremely durable. Like they can, they can survive like for eight, seven years, like without uh, getting dew or anything like on it. And so you can then use those as basically a dry storage um, food medium that you can use to add to soups or use as a basis for all kinds of meals or as a added thing on desserts, like depending on what it is, whether it's sweet or not. And so that's a very real product that has a high value. It's also organic. And so you can sell it to all kinds of like kitchens and direct consumers. And so based on this mechanism of buying those seconds, again, it's the same kind of mentality at play here figuring out where is there an unused resource, in this case, the seconds, how do you unlock new value that comes from that? Um, that's not necessarily solving a problem here, but it is like creating value for both ends of that spectrum of that market. Um, and now they're using then that relationship that they have to the farmers to then create a currency that will be the unit of account for the value that's coming from the farmers to them and from them financially to the farmers. And then they basically start to extend loans to the farmers at better rates than uh, banks and credit unions can. And then the, the condition, though, for them to extend them those um, loans is for the farmers to transition slowly to regenerative growing practices, meaning that they measure the health of the soil and the nutrition, nutrition content of the food. And based on those measurements, they then get better rates. So they start to create a mechanism where there's a feedback loop between how well are you treating your soil and how much are you investing in the practices becoming better for the ground and for the produce, which then impacts your like interest rates basically on the, the loans that you get to be able to invest in the new machines and all that stuff. 
And so wow. you start to sort of have this circuit and these extending and growing loops that start to have an, a very real and real world impact on how things actually work in the real world. Um, and we are currently in the stage where I think like virtually all of the farmers in the States are like very old and are trying to retire, but there's not really that, that many people that are taking up that. Uh, this would be one way of making that job more attractive because I do feel people feel invested in the idea of contributing to like fight against climate change and to make the food better and so on and also use real technologies to, to do so. That's one thing that I really like about um, what I've gathered from this ecosystem of um, Holochain, GameB, making all these things. They're thinking about the complexity of the issue. Is this cat? What are you doing? Stop. Um, sorry, cat was doing stuff. Um, they're thinking about the complexity of what goes into the full system and engineering and designing solutions that take those into consideration versus strictly doing something to like profit, for right. example, right? Exactly. Like the, the old method of like, if, if the, like, for example, in that specific scenario where um, with the farmers and the, the organics, like they are making it such that the farmers will have to change their practices to be regenerative in order to get these discounts that action didn't need to be taken taken by like a um an, another if if someone didn't have that mindset uh they could just say oh you keep doing your thing we'll give you a loan uh and like there's just these extra things that are happening that i really like a lot um the the technology is in essence enabling a a different a, a new leverage point so that you can add or demand a third variable in the transaction right because if you don't use the technology and someone's saying i'm going to take your your b-rate vegetables and pay you 10 percent more that's okay done but to incorporate that third that says i will continue to do this and i will continue to give you a better margin if you incite this change that's there nobody's going that distance and yeah. it's because like wh who's going to say yes to that and unless you have a leverage point unless you have a different motivator than profit right like i mean I, I, again i'm not against profit and i don't think that anybody in our like groups is like strictly or ideologically against profit profit is sort of the tends to be the marker of a healthy business because it shows that you are fundamentally have figured something out that there is a surplus that you've generated right and that's great um, but if that is the only or sole driver of your interest, then you might actually cut corners again in order to make that number go up. And humans right. love to make numbers go up, right? Like, especially if it's their own number. <laughs> so right. I can create more so sloppy vegetables. In this, way, in this way, it would be basically a combination of those things. Like it's not saying number go up is bad, but maybe it doesn't need to go up like, 150%, but maybe like 130% is fine. And like also here is uh, another reason why to do it. Not only will you actually make it maybe more profitable in the future for yourself because you don't erode your soil, but also you're going to uh, be seen as helpful in the larger scale by your consumers. And then you have another marketing reason that people will want to go to you rather than to somebody else. And like, there's all these like more nuanced or longer term things. And I think that's really the, the key issue 
it's that we, when you set your sights on something beyond profit, uh, uh, then you can enable, <laughs> you can enable long-term action that is long-term capable and long-term positive rather than next quarter positive. And if you are only always measuring your success by next quarter positive, you're always going to arrange all the factors at play so that you look good in the very short term, but you're actually um, undermining the success of the enterprise in the long term uh, by making decisions that short term make it look good. Right. And so Holochain allows you to factor in these long term things within currencies in whatever design you want. You can create just as profit-driven enterprises with blockchain as well. Like the, the technology doesn't have an opinion on that. But uh, what? Why? Like there's, a, there's there's sort of a different different thing playing, which is that the people who've created this, they as one one thing they're doing is basically to model what a gen generally healthy design of a currency using Holochain would look like. And then they uh, are basically only assisting those people who are building things in that or a similar way directly. So that way you basically sort of build a cultural engine into it that makes it more likely that more healthy designs are going to be created at the beginning. And of course, then the market will ultimately do with it what it wants, but that's, that's one thing. Another thing, and this doesn't necessarily go into the profit direction, but it does go into sort of the power shifting direction, is that the license uh, that Holochain is released under was actually created specifically for Holochain. It didn't exist uh, like a year ago, I think. That it only oh. got accepted or approved uh, pretty recently, like uh, I think a couple of months ago or so, uh, or last year. And this is the cryptographic autonomy license. And so this cryptographic autonomy license uh, makes it so that companies that want to legally use Holochain code have to promise to uh, legally assure the rights and legally and technologically assure the rights of the individuals that uh, are using their apps to own their own data uh, and to basically own their own keys as well. Uh, and so what they're doing here is they're making it, uh, they, they're shifting the, power to the individual person and to the, the comments oriented uses of Holochain versus the company or profit or business driven uses. Of course, the businesses will be able to do their things too, but they will have to do so with the consent and under the auspices and, and watchful eyes, not only of their end consumers, but also of the people who can then inspect the code itself because Holochain itself is open and visible source, meaning anybody can inspect any part of the code. And if anything isn't taking place within Holochain, then you know that they probably have something to hide. Right. Uh, unless it's doing something specific that can't be done. Wow. Which doesn't mean that everybody can see your data, right? Like it just means that the rules of the game are transparent, but the actual data and the actual moves, let's say in those games are actually private unless they are designed to be public, in which case, it's your, your task to sort of be aware of that. I really like the mission statement having this, you know, third variable necessity built in, right? Like you can certainly build a profitable company on here and it will probably not inhibit, but in fact, enable if you use it. But to be able to use the technology and to be able to get involved in this with us, you have to have that third variable. Like tell us what you're going to do where one plus one equals three here. 
Well, I think that, I think the world is shifting that way. You know, especially like obviously, hopefully like faster with us, the, the younger yeah. generation. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like we talk about this all the time that money just isn't enough anymore to do something. It's right. got to be a, a bigger motivation than just well, and, and the almighty dollar. You and know? our conversations about how to enable the the <laughs> the the most vulnerable of us in our activities, right? To not change the way that not call to action them to change the way that they're doing things, but to change the net effect of them continuing to do the same things, right? right. Like our society asking them to change the way that we consume and live our life is is daunting. But to tell them if you do things the exact same way and you have the option to create uh, that third variable or you have the option to, as you're continuing to do what you do, to add value and to create positivity, that's mm-hmm. where we're trying to break through and find. And that's in this whole podcast here today. That is the part of the conversation that I'm most excited about because now we're full circle back to our mission here is how is what you're creating going to create value and incentive to create this more holistic, yeah. uh, uh, purpose-driven um Fighting complacency. Yes, in, and in, and how do we how do we do it in a way where people are actually going to make a difference? And our hypothesis is that telling people to change is going to be useless, but showing people how to do the same thing that they're doing right now, but to make that choice without changing action, to make the net effect be more than just about themselves, is is huge. And any medium we can find to be able to project that, right? Like we were, we talk all the time about this being a prism where it's like one thing goes in and we create these thousands of different possibilities, right? Like, like any, like you coming here, the prism we want to create is now, if you have this idea, if you have this technology footprint that you're trying to create, and if you want to do the, the steroids version of, I sell a pair of socks, I give a pair of socks to somebody in need with a perpetual, difference making um caveat built into it then hollow and scepter are the ways to go then hollow chain is the way is the place to do it on right because it inherently as a community understands that that even doing things on the platform alone will create inevitably the same issue but if you put that third variable in then then we're changing the path we're changing the course of 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 the future yeah, this is actually a very core part uh, that we haven't talked about yet, but this is sort of very core to the vision and the mission of the MetaCurrency project as such, which is to basically assist the transition from the industrial to the information economy and era, uh, mm-hmm. which we are going through and which we're sort of on the cusp of in some sense. Uh, and we are seeing, I feel like with the COVID era, the breakdown of all of these industrial era systems. We've seen the inability of governments to react appropriately, the inability of supply chains to to properly reconfigure or have enough slack in them or be resilient. All of these, uh, and the education as well, is now coming under a lot of stress with either children being forced to live in bubbles or sort of wear masks, which is just inhuman as well. If you just think about it, that early part of your life, not being able to touch your friends and so on, uh, or figure out a a different way, basically having smaller groups or maybe homeschooling or doing a combination of online learning and other things. But the the vision and mission of a currency project has as a very core uh, of it, this specific theory of change 
And like any movement and any uh, any yeah any movement in any organization that wants to change things has to have a theory of change. How do you actually go about changing things rather than just saying we're going to change things? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that they view it is, uh, it's sort of like a ladder, and a ladder has different rungs, and these rungs are held up by these different beams on either side. And so, if you want to walk up the ladder or even construct the ladder to get to higher elevations, if you will, you have to combine both on the one side uh, technology, and on the other side, sort of the human stuff like cooperation, consciousness, training, all those things. And then you sort of have to lock in progress in either one of these two verticals by a horizontal run, basically a specific project that brings those two together so that that run can then be the platform on which to create the next run and so on. And so it's not enough to just raise consciousness, right? And that's what the hippies tried. They sort of, they actually actively eschewed the mechanisms of power because that's icky and iffy and like, we don't want to have anything to do with that. And they ultimately failed to then also gain power in the States, although they definitely had a massive cultural change uh, or cultural influence. And then technology also isn't enough because if you just do technology, technology has its own sort of dynamics. And if you don't know how to work with it, and if you don't know how to create it and consciously design it, then it will design you. Uh, Or the people with the most skill in using it will end up owning everybody else, which is what we currently have with all these massive systems. So that's sort of the, the theory of change. And that's, that really is like the, the direction that all of this is moving. Fascinating. That's great. Should we, uh, should we do a cap score? Okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, the cap score is in seven, six, nine, seven for clarity, six for action and nine for potential. Another niner for potential. So this is the, the only the the two things that we've had so far have been um, liquid intelligence and hollow chain slash meta currency, and both of which had the mm-hmm. nine score for potential. Yeah, that's massive. Um, we obviously have a bias towards pretty cool technology. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are getting some pretty cool technologies to start yeah. off with in this podcast, but um, but I think there's something to that, and I think there's. Um, to kind of connect a couple dots there in my own head, uh, what I want to see later on in this, um, this arc, if you will, of the, the UPSO podcast is how do we get these things to work together? How do we get these really promising projects to actually collaborate, utilize each other and, and work together to create the world that we want to live in? And, um, my immediate thoughts are like, for example, how can we get these AIs that can autonomously self-build organizations to self-build in Holochain? How do they create Holochain architectures by themselves? How can they, on with informed by humans and working with humans, create on a system that is open and um, that is modeled after biology to to help help us um just just thoughts that are coming yeah. to me i wonder if yeah. how we can maybe mol- help you know the future thinkers in their their the smart their village smart village yeah that might be a great self-contained fully fully uh functioning ecosystem where there's many different ways for many different currencies to exist 
but in a very controllable environment. That would be a That's really a, cool case. Uh, it's literally case almost a perfect example of like a small community that's being built right now. Um, Moritz, have you heard of the uh, Future Thinker Smart Community? Yeah, I, I signed up for their online thing and uh, we messaged them there too. Yeah, definitely Amazing. following that. It would Amazing. be interesting to have you guys help out with their with their exchange of, of value within their they've had, they've had Arthur and other people from us on their own podcast so they're definitely aware of it cool that's great I'm really yeah. excited to see what what can happen with that collaboration because that's yeah that would be a great like small uh, ecosystem small of testing of, ground yeah yeah they uh, just dropped a pretty cool sizzle reel too <laughs> yeah right that make a moves awesome. that would that would be cool and that would and that's total game B that's like it's 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 very different so you can plant the seed there is you know this is a capitalistic type of thing this is a not-for-profit type of thing this is a game B type of thing it fits all you know seamlessly into any different type of, of economy if you will yeah they're using the different mechanisms to organize people appropriately in their own domain rather than having one be extremely dominant over everything else i think that's the the way forward they're probably doing it they're probably going to exchange work anyways to yeah. underline it appropriately and to be able to track its efficiency well and would it would be, be great because it's starting from scratch you're not trying to take an old system and you know retrofit it yeah for I and do. it's it's a clean start. You're it's not like slate. hybrid, hybriding the situation, yeah. which you probably have quite a few examples of hybrid situations where you can insert into a capitalistic environment. You told us about one of them, with the, with the third variable. Yeah, uh, I mean, even like creating a system or a currency for the smart village in terms of the amount of time that you put into the smart village and like what you can get out of it. Um, like I'm sure just a brainstorming session with Mike and Yuvi about that would be really beneficial to see how they can see hollow chain working in that, in that world and how that could be recorded as like a time-based currency. Yeah. It's really Very interesting. Cool. What can we do for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, just keep on doing what you guys are doing. And uh, if I end up finding somebody who I think fits your podcast, bring him on. That's that's all that I can ask. I mean, I'm I'm pretty content with the way I'm doing things. And uh, if something comes to mind, I'll definitely be in touch. <laughs> okay, love that. Amazing. Are there any uh, are there any partnerships or any iterations that you're that you're keen on more than others? If we cross by a certain type of business or a certain type of community. Well, at this point, sort of, I feel like the potential is so infinite that it's it's more a question of just doing specific things. So, uh, and I'm not directly involved in the organizations of Holochain and Holo, so I'm more like an actor in the ecosystem. And uh, I have already like a thousand and one projects that all buy for my attention. So it's more like figuring out, okay, how, do, how can I either replace myself as quickly as possible in virtually all of them, uh, or how how can I figure out how to help the, the the most people that are going in this direction that we all want to go in uh, and that are very likely to to make good steps in that direction? Because there's a difference between imagining where you want to go and being able to actually take that step. Uh, and so that's that's part of my work, my personal work as well that we didn't talk about here, but is all about either 
ridding people of <laughs> delusions of grandeur about what they think they can do or what they think needs to happen and returning them more to a, a, a more, let's say, internalized navigation style rather than uh, like assimilating ideologies and then letting those act through them. Um, and then also, yeah, helping them take the actual steps. And so in my own work, I'm actually, I'm actually launching my own brand shortly um, and I'm going to have no text whatsoever on my website, basically, because I'm basically experimenting with this idea of a silent brand. But anyway, there's going to be other conversations we can have. And amazing. Oh, I love that. Can't wait to cool. have you back on and yeah. talk about that. That sounds amazing. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, Moritz, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. And I will, uh, well, we'll, we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye. Cheers.